Good morning. So I think it's pretty cool that uh, our church praise band has the only one-armed drummer in the city. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I also have to tell you this. At, after 8.30, I had a lady tell me that she disagreed with me, which is fine. I had another lady tell me she was going to send my sermon to the mayor. So the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, um, but we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, the last few times that I've preached, uh, it's been in the middle of one of our ongoing series, uh, which for somebody who only preaches a handful of times a year is actually pretty helpful. There's already an idea in place. There's already a direction to run in. This week will be a little bit different. We just finished our series on relationships, and we're about to move into a series on everyday faith. And so part of my job is to tie those two series together. And the cool thing about that is that where the idea of relationships and everyday faith intersect is actually right in the middle of a conversation that I've been having with myself over the last few months. I've been really convicted about all of the injustices in our world. And the way that 2016 has gone, I don't even have to list any examples because everyone in this room has plenty coming to your mind right now. And so I look at all of this and I wonder, how do we get to the root of these questions and make lasting change? Working to meet the immediate need in front of us, like somebody who needs food, is crucial but it's also different than working on the root cause, like asking, why does this person need food in the first place? And so the reason this is causing me so much trouble is because I recognize the incredible life-changing work being done to meet the needs of human beings in front of us. But I also can't help but think if we had done something several steps ago, that person wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. I also acknowledge the complexities of limited reach, limited access into those larger systems. And plus, I know we can't say to the person who needs food, sorry, I'm not going to give you any food today, but don't worry, I'm working on the system. Right? That's not how it works either. It's got to be a balance. But the way our society is set up, it's really hard to start open and engaging conversations about fixing our broken systems when so many people refuse to acknowledge that they're broken. This is hard. So what do we do? What are we as Christians called to do? What am I called to do with this? I honestly feel like part of my call is to reach into those deeper systems, but I've found it hard to find traction there. I look at the world and I feel anger and sadness and conviction and compassion and love, and if you name an emotion, I've probably felt it during this conversation. And so I start to wrestle with it. I'm wrestling with God, I'm wrestling with Scripture. Let me tell you, wrestling with Scripture is one of the best ways to learn more about God. And I'm pretty beat up right now. God's been kicking my butt. 
I feel a lot like Jacob in Genesis 32 when he sends his family on ahead of him and he decides to spend the night by himself by the river. And then in the middle of the night, this angel from God comes in and starts wrestling with him, which is super weird, but that's not the point of the story. And so Jacob's wrestling, he's putting up a good fight, and eventually the angel knocks him on the hip and takes his hip totally out of its socket. And despite the injury, Jacob wrestles on. The wrestling match ends with the angel offering Jacob a blessing. Jacob walked away with a limp, but he was stronger for it. And so this morning, I want to invite you into my wrestling match. I want to tell you what I've been learning. I want to show you what I think this might mean for all of us as we move forward. And we're going to start with a familiar story, a story that all of us know. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to pull it out. If you don't have a Bible with you, use the Bible app, use the Bible in the pew in front of you, whatever you got. Turn to Luke 10. Luke 10, we're going to be looking at the story in verses 25 through 37. And since we might have some different translations in the room, I'm going to retell the story. Once a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and along the way he got jumped by a group of robbers. They beat him, they stripped him, they took his money, and they left him in the ditch to die. But fortunately, a priest was traveling down this same road shortly after, and then after him came a Levite who was an employee of the temple. But both the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side and kept on walking. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I don't think these people were just jerks who don't care. Okay, I think they're busy people. Both of them are important figures in the temple, and both of them would have to consider the consequences of becoming ritually unclean. Had they stopped to touch this bloody, half-dead man in the ditch, they wouldn't be allowed in the temple again until they had become ceremonially clean. And so if they're on their way to offer sacrifices or to worship, that could really clog up their day. I don't think these guys were jerks. I just think they're like us. I think they're pretty good at rationalizing and justifying their decision to keep on walking. The next person down the road happened to be a Samaritan. He stops. He goes down in the ditch. He disinfects the man's wounds, he bandages them, and he puts the man on his own donkey and leads him to safety. And then the Samaritan pays the bills for the treatment of the bullied man. On top of all of that, y'all know this, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They didn't like each other, they didn't talk to each other, they didn't even give one of those little half waves you see as you pass each other on the street, right? And so not only does this Samaritan do the ultimate good deed that sets the standard for all of us, he does it to his enemy. And then Jesus rounds out the lesson by telling us that we are to love our neighbor. Oh, and by the way, your neighbor is everyone. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan. Even people who don't grow up in church hear this story. It's a parable of Jesus, and it teaches a very specific message Love everyone you encounter. That's a great message. There's a reason why we hear it so much. There's a reason why we all know it. 
whether we see ourselves as the priest or the Levite who keeps on walking because we're running late to a meeting, or whether we see ourselves as the man in the ditch from time to time, the message of the story remains the same. The Good Samaritan is the hero here, and our goal should be to approach life in the same way. But, in the midst of the wrestling that I've been doing, when I'm asking questions about a deeper justice, I look at this story, and I can't help but see a big wrinkle right smack in the middle of it. As great as the Good Samaritan's actions were, he didn't actually solve the problem. And so I'm left with the question, how come no one seems interested in fixing the problems with the road? Well, let me explain. You see, in this story, Jesus uses the road from Jerusalem to Jericho as his example on purpose. Every person he told this story to would have immediately known that road to be a dangerous one. Walking on that road was a risk, and everyone knew it. And so while it's important to focus on the acts of the Good Samaritan, and we can and should learn from those, we also have to realize that people get mugged on this road all the time. And so we either need to hope there's a whole bunch of Good Samaritans traveling these days, or we need to do something about the road. Who's going to fill in the potholes and repave to give us a sense of pride? Who's going to unite the people who live near the road so they can start a neighborhood watch? Who's going to support the local businesses? Who's going to install the streetlights? Who's going to repurpose the abandoned buildings? Who's going to address the broken system behind that dangerous road that creates conditions for a person to end up in the ditch in the first place? The world needs good Samaritans. But even with all the good that Samaritan did, he almost literally put a band-aid on a bigger problem. When we see a person in the ditch, we need to help. We're called to help, but we should also take time to consider what put that person in the ditch to begin with. The surface level answer is muggers. Muggers put him there. The deeper answer speaks to the broken system that fuels injustice by creating the economic desperation that pushes people to become muggers. I'll say that again. The deeper answer speaks to the broken system that fuels injustice by creating the economic desperation that pushes people to become muggers. This story speaks to what it truly means to love our neighbor. There's no doubt about that. But truly loving our neighbor reaches a much deeper level when we start talking about God's brand of justice, a transformational justice, a restorative justice. It includes the acts of the Good Samaritan for sure, but it also asks larger questions of the system. How easy it is to forget that the muggers in this story are also our neighbor. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I have to admit this makes me uncomfortable. Wrestling with Scripture and with God in this way is not easy. 
And last week, David talked about sometimes there's a gap between what he says when he's preaching and his day-to-day actions in life. Sometimes he's preaching to himself. And that's exactly how I feel as I stand up here wrestling with this question. Which is why I invited you in. This makes me uncomfortable because it's hard work. And because it asks me to look my own privileges in the face. And because I have no idea how this is going to turn out. This is risky. But you know what? Being a Christian is not about being comfortable. And so I dive back into the wrestling match. I'm asking God how we bring God's justice into our broken systems. And when I look at the most famous story of good deeds ever, I see similar broken systems left totally unaddressed. What do we do with that? Jesus came as a certain type of Messiah. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a war hero. Jesus was a homeless, Middle Eastern Jewish man who was a minority in a country controlled by a larger political, economic, and religious power. Jesus had less than zero say in the larger system. And so Jesus acted in the most transformational way he could through the lives of the people around him. You see, as I've been wrestling with God and with these scriptures, I've been really frustrated with Jesus. Now, I love Jesus, but I've been really frustrated with Jesus because I could only find examples of him addressing surface-level needs. I'm not talking about spiritual needs, that's a different conversation, but surface-level physical needs. And now, I have to say, before you mentally run ahead and start defending Jesus, don't worry, we'll get there, okay? Jesus transformed the world through relationships. He hung out with who culture saw as the lowest of the low, and he did a lot of his miracles with people who had even less say in the system than he did. Continually, he's doing things to meet surface-level needs. Important needs, but surface-level Nothing he did really ever shot to the root of those broken systems that were creating the needs he was meeting in the first place. Within his radius, Jesus transformed his world. The problem is, his radius wasn't all that big. And so I was frustrated. How can I be so convicted by this question of bringing God's justice to the broken systems only to realize that Jesus never even seems to have asked that question. So here's what I've been learning. Jesus calls us to be transformational through love and justice within our radius. It's true that Jesus' radius was small. It's also true that Jesus did not ask questions about the broken road. But by transforming lives within his radius, he spoke to those who could fix the road. Think about this. In John 3, we see Jesus meeting Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees. He had plenty of power and influence. Jesus changes Nicodemus. Remember, this is where John 3.16 is. 
And Nicodemus comes back in John 19 to help Joseph of Arimathea with Jesus' body. In Luke 19, we see Jesus meeting Zacchaeus, who is a big-time tax collector with a direct line of communication into the Roman economic system. Jesus changes Zacchaeus, which then restores economic justice to that community. In Matthew 8, we see Jesus meeting the centurion, who was an officer in the Roman army. And so by healing the centurion's servant, it's safe to assume that a more just way of keeping law and order was established in that community. Think about the disciples who learned from Jesus how to fight through life-threatening persecution in order to establish the early church which had its own radius of influence and impact on the larger systems. And now this next example might be my favorite. So Jesus influenced the disciples who created the early church, who influenced Stephen, who was martyred in front of a young Saul, who would later meet Jesus and become Paul. Paul was definitely a system changer. If you fast forward a couple thousand years, I'll give you two more examples. Mother Teresa worked with the Dalit people for 68 years. These people were known as the untouchables. Her calling wasn't to change systems. Her calling was to pour out the most extravagant, transformational love possible on the lowest, poorest people within her radius. And this morning, she became an official saint in the Catholic Church. On the other side, you've got Martin Luther King Jr. He was a tremendous pastor in goodness that he knew how to love people. But his calling, based on the life and teaching of Jesus, was to be a system changer. Now the system still has a lot of holes and needs to be fixed, but we're a lot farther along thanks to him than we would be otherwise. And so here we are, sitting in the sanctuary at Middletown Christian Church, all of us have been impacted by Jesus in some way. All of us have been called to bring transformational justice, of, the transformational justice of God into our own radius. For some of us, that radius won't be very big, but it'll look a lot like Jesus's. Your radius will be full of your ability to pour transformational love on all of those around you. Whether it's a well-timed phone call or as involved as helping the battered man in the ditch, you create ripple effects and touch the lives of more people than you could ever imagine. For others of us, that radius will be large and full of important connections. And your call will be to bring God's transformational and restorative justice into all the systems that you reach in a way that truly loves your neighbor, which remember is everyone. The world needs good Samaritans, but it also needs to fix the broken roads. And the only way that we can do both effectively is to do it together. And that's exactly how we end up with ideas like Embrace Louisville. Can you see how Embrace Louisville has the ability to address both the surface needs and to reach deeper? We have an opportunity 
in front of us to transform lives and to transform systems with the love of God in a way that will change Louisville forever. Some of that work has already been started. I think about the partnership that our church has with Kentucky Refugee Ministries, a relationship we've been building for almost 20 years. And thanks to the hard work and dedication of many of you, Middletown resettled its 10th refugee family earlier this summer. Housing, furniture, food, help with legal paperwork, English classes, employment services, and more are all provided. This is about more than just moving people out of harm's way. This is about giving people a chance to really live. The family, their life was transformed, our lives are transformed, and our city is transformed, all by fighting for the love and justice of God. We built a habitat house. That project started because of the loving welcome that was extended to a new person coming into the church. Soon relationships were formed, conversations were had, stories were told, and needs were realized. And so a house was built, transforming the life of one of our friends and also transforming the community in which he now lives. We could talk about Buddy Break or TLC or the Global Leadership Summit or so many other things. And I have to say, I don't know what the future of Embrace Louisville looks like, but I do know that as we pay down more of the debt and we free up more money for these transformational ministry initiatives, we have an incredible opportunity. Our goal for Embrace Louisville is to meet 5,000 people where they are with the transformational love of God. Just think what the ripple effect of that can be if all of these ministry initiatives transform lives and reach deeper systems. Middletown Christian Church is in position to be a system changer. We just can't be afraid to step out of our comfort zone, to have the hard conversations and to speak loudly against injustice. Martin Luther King Jr. says in his letter from Birmingham jail that the biggest hindrance to the work of the civil rights movement wasn't the KKK or other direct opposition. It was the white people who believed in their cause but were too afraid to stand up and speak out. That convicts me are hard words and now don't hear me wrong I don't think we've been silent but I definitely think we have an opportunity in front of us to make a lot more noise and to help fix the broken road imagine the opportunities to form transformational partnerships for economic justice for racial justice for full inclusion of the LGBT community, and so many more. I don't think it's a coincidence that I've been wrestling with these questions while the opportunities to reach these larger systems is sitting right in front of us. This is an exciting time to be a part of the journey at Middletown Christian Church. 
It'll take work. It'll make us uncomfortable at times. But I have a lot of hope for the love of God to reach both the person in the ditch and to fix the broken road. Now, if you've ever wrestled with God and with Scripture like this, then you know I don't win these battles. I don't give up, but I'm definitely not the winner. So when Jacob emerged from his wrestling match with God, he walked with a limp, but he also received a blessing. And before going out to fulfill his calling, he paused and named that place Peniel, which is Hebrew and means the face of God. Jacob saw God and he had new hope. And so like Jacob, when we walk away from our wrestling matches battered and bruised and with a limp, we also receive a blessing. We're called to love our neighbors by bringing God's justice into our own little worlds, both to meet surface needs and to impact larger systems. My prayer is that we can name this moment Peniel because we have seen the face of God in transformational ways and we have new hope. Hope for us, hope for our church, and hope for our city.